Hello, and welcome to the PCA Enabling Services podcast series. This podcast series and accompanying virtual summit are intended to create opportunities for PCAs, health centers, HCCNs, and other affiliated organizations to learn more about enabling services from a variety of different lenses. This podcast series and virtual summit are co-organized and co-hosted by the Health Center Association of Nebraska and Health Outreach Partners, and in partnership with our NCA speakers, which include the Association of Asian Pacific Community Health Organization, MHP Salute, the National Association of Community Health Centers, and the National Center for Medical Legal Partnership. The virtual summit will be a live convening with discussions of topics covered throughout the podcast series, facilitated by the NCAs that were interviewed throughout the podcasts. Today, we'll be talking with Bethany Hamilton, Deputy Director of State Affairs, and Ted Henson, Director of Health Center Performance and Innovation from the National Association of Community Health Centers on operational and policy-related updates. Okay, hi, welcome to the PCA Enabling Services Podcast Summit Series. Um, I'm your host, Christina, and today uh, we're going to talk about policy and enabling services. So thank you very much to our special guests joined here today by Ted Henson and Bethany Hamilton from NAC. Would you two mind just starting out by introducing yourselves, telling us a little bit more about your organization and your roles there? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having us. So my name is Ted Henson. I'm the Director of Health Center Performance and Innovation here at NAC. I've been at NAC for about six years. And currently I work with health centers that are seeking 330-funded FQHC or FQHC lookalike status. I also work with special model health centers such as public center uh, grantees. And, and I've been working on enabling services going back to 2014 when I started at NAC on a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation um, grant. And I was the director of that grant. Uh, in 2014, when we were really focused on how health centers were engaging uh, with patients in their communities around uh, enrollment into the Affordable Care Act coverage. And I'm Bethany Hamilton. I'm a Deputy Director on NAC State Affairs team. Um, my focus is on, generally on access and innovation policy. Uh, where that takes me on a more specific level is looking at the ways that Medicaid, the marketplaces, and other sources of coverage can really ensure that the patient population served by FQHCs actually have access to those FQHC services. And so naturally, I also have to look at FQHC payment policy at the state level and how it's impacted by state waivers or state plan amendments in the Medicaid space um, and the ACA marketplaces and looking at some of the regulations that influence state-level decisions. Um, and then there are several other areas that I touch on, such as behavioral health access and innovation in terms of reimbursement, just to all really come together to ensure that payment and delivery um, is uh, able to make all of the care that is comprehensive and provided by FQHCs actually accessible. Okay, great. Oh, well, we're so happy to have you, and I think you two will just be have a really great perspective on uh, the questions that we have for you today. Um, okay, so from your perspectives and your roles at NAC and in your work with health centers and PCAs, what are some of the current policies affecting health center enabling services? So funding, funding, funding is, of course, the big of the... <laughs> of the issue, the biggest of the issues that I think um, FQHCs are continuing to face and PCAs and HCCNs, HCCNs being the health center controlled networks and PCAs being the state primary care association, some of them are regional, are working on um, at the federal level. Um, similarly, uh, and that's related to their 330 grant funding, um, a lot of what we've seen um, over the years are very short-term funding uh, mechanisms that allow for the health centers um, to have their 330 grants uh, reappropriated 
and um, sent out over the year. But they have to fight for that funding every year. So the push this time right now is to ensure that they have long-term funding. The trouble with of making that fight um, uh, rise to the top is that we are also faced with COVID-19, a, a worldwide pandemic. Um, so the response from the federal level has certainly been to and, uh, provide this additional supplemental funding. Um, but there's still certainly the call for um, and the need to amplify the importance of having that long-term stable funding so that as long as you have that foundation, then you can continue to work on the state-level issues. So in the space of Medicaid right now, I think HHS is continuing to work on um, formulas to ensure that Medicaid providers like F2HCs um, are able to really have the additional supports in place so that they can fight the pandemic. And we've not seeing particularly or really specific directives um, in terms of funding for O&E, but I think where um, the O&E po- related po- or policies that can be helpful for O&E, this is how complicated it is and why it would be helpful to see direct funding or policies at the congressional level, but where we have seen things that could be helpful are um, really looking at some of the waivers um, that have really broadened and ensured that eligibility is made easier and streamlined. Um, we have also seen, I think, roles uh, be expanded um, via those waivers, but it's really important to remember that when a state is enacting or implementing a waiver, those are often temporary. Um, so um, I know that uh, some of what Ted may talk about are the operational changes that have occurred or can continue to occur, but in the policy space, I think what's really important to remember is that you do have um, some actions by Congress that provided the funding, um, and then HHS and other agencies have taken action um, on some of the state-level mechanisms, and many of them are temporary. So it'll be interesting to see how things continue to play out and how the O&E field will adjust uh, to acting now on those temporary changes and what will happen in the future. Okay, great. Wow, definitely hearing that funding is uh, a major role. Yeah, and to piggyback on Bethany's comments, um, I think it's really important that, um, you know, health centers prepare for the future. Uh, right now, we largely live in a fee-for-service world where the Medicaid the PPS rate is something that health centers can live and die by. I think as we look for, um, you know, how health centers will arrange their care team and care delivery models in the future, you know, value, quality, those are things we've already focused on. Um, but if we move away from fee-for-service, what does that look like? I think enabling services are such a critical part of that equation. Um, enabling services are often the non-reimbursable service. And Bethany mentioned the 330 grant, and that's where I think it's really important when health centers make those strategic conversations about what they're putting in their scope of project and their Form 5A, what services are on there, uh, what's going to be a covered service, what are they going to provide directly, what are they going to provide by a contract or through a referral arrangement. I think for enabling services, this is something where we could spend all day and talk about ROI and where there's a huge return on the investment for improving uh, health outcomes, patient satisfaction. Um, and uh, I think we really need to sort of help health centers kind of have that conversation at the strategic level. Just to make a comment about COVID, um, one concrete example where, that, where there's a policy change that's been helpful is uh, the Bureau of Primary Healthcare HRSA has been releasing updates on what health centers can do in response to it. And one of their updates has been around uh, the contact tracing and how contact tracing can be uh, an allowable um, service in a health center scope of project. 
they did put parameters on that. And so I think you can read their guidance on it. I think they have to be doing it. They cannot be doing it on behalf of a health center or a health department. But health centers can do that as part of the scope of project. And enabling services staff have then redeployed across the country to help assist with that. Uh, but that's an example where health centers have had to think about how are they doing th things, services, providing services in scope when they might not be getting reimbursed for it. So how uh, are these policies impacting health center finances, operations, and models of care as it relates to enabling services? Um, if you want to build off some of the examples you've already given or if there's anything new there. Well, I can build on that. I think I, I covered it a little bit in my, my previous response, but just to go back to outreach and enrollment for a second, you know, when we saw COVID hit, there was an initial um, uh, influx of people who were applying for health insurance because so many people lost their job. And we live in a society where you get insurance through your employer. And so you had massive unemployment, and then um, her, um, CMS has allowed for special enrollment periods uh, related to um, job loss related to COVID. It's not special COVID at SCP, but there are SCPs that people that lost their job as a result of COVID that are eligible for it. This is incredibly important for health centers that are seeing substantial up to like 50%, 80% drop in revenue, drop in patient visits, to make sure that people are staying covered and they're able to access healthcare um, you know, virtually or through telehealth. And so I think that's a really important thing. And one thing just to flag in terms of a policy um, that's really important right now is that for all the health centers that live in their existing states that are um, serviced through, through, um, using the healthcare.gov, so the marketplace, they need to make sure that they are a certified application counselor designated organization, a PDO. And so this is something that um, CMS began two years ago, and they're doing their very first refresh process. And if health center organizations doing this are not in there, then technically they're not eligible to provide these services or at least advertise they have a CAC. And that's really important because a lot of them get money to do that work or sub-grantees as navigators. And that's a way to make sure they're bringing people into their health center, getting them covered, will become a billable visit in the future. Um, so given all these changes and everything going on, what are some ways that health centers and PCAs can get involved in advocating for policy support for enabling services provision? So, Christina, I'll take that one on. I think, um, you know, going back to looking at what Congress already passed, as well as what HHS or CMS did um, to make sure the regulations or any guidance um, adjustments were made to make it easier um, for various staff uh, to carry out a response. Um, that's gonna be crucial. I think, for example, when you look at the Family First Act, um, that created a brand new eligibility category that was 100% uh, federally matched, and that was that COVID-19 testing category. It's a really limited benefit for screening and testing of COVID. Where outreach and enrollment staff would be particularly helpful is in states that took that eligibility, which is optional, category on, it would be particularly helpful for the outreach and enrollment and enabling services staff to really track data on who took advantage of it in terms of um, getting themselves enrolled. Um, was there a reason why a newly unemployed adult may not have taken advantage of it? Was the time period uh, not long enough, or did they just not know about it? All of those are factors and bits of information can, that can really inform when going forward, you have your F2HCs, HCCNs, and PCAs pushing for longer-term measures. Um, and similarly, many of the actions uh, that we saw taken in telehealth to really make it more expansive and accessible to all. We had many changes made so that, for example, 
it's not just telehealth by video, but also telephone um, could be used and counted as a reimbursable visit. It's going to be really important as well for your enabling services staff to take notes on when, let's say, a telephone visit wasn't taken up and perhaps someone preferred to take up the transportation um, offer or information that they had received in that uh, exchange of enabling services or health education, whatever the meeting, whatever uh, the meeting ended up looking like with that patient. Why was it that they may not have taken up that um, additional way to uh, speak to their provider um, that was seen as lightning year speed ahead uh, for the telehealth policy space. Um, so it's an improvement, but we know there are many gaps that still need to be addressed. Um, and that's where the, I think the O&E field can pay particular attention to some of the policies that were put in place. Um, one of the biggest questions that everyone um, is asking, and it, shouldn't, it should also be on the radar for O&E staff is that all of this is in the context of the public health emergency, and I keep referring to these very temporary measures. Um, and many of them are temporary because the public health emergency has a timeline, um, and it will come to an end, thankfully, because we will no longer be in a public health emergency, a pandemic uh, state, and hopefully that will come sooner rather than later. But it's very important to know which things are tied to the public health emergency so that folks will know when uh, they will need to transition onto a different set of services or make adjustments to um, push forward on advocacy for the certain services that were proven to uh, bring about quality, bring down costs, uh, and lead to patient satisfaction and improvements. Which ones are you going to push forward in terms of uh, leading us into what will be a really tough budgeting uh, scenario for states in 2021? So that's you know, the picture that folks are looking at uh, going forward over for the next six months. And just to piggyback on Bethany's great comments, I, I think one other really important part of that is just the, the critical importance of um, health centers to collect data on the breadth and depth of services they provide. I think enabling services can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, um, and there's some great tools out there already, but to what extent can they show the number of encounters they have that might not be reportable in UDS, but that will help sort of show this larger picture of the amount of touches they have with patients and how they're interacting with them at many different touch points uh, throughout their healthcare experience, their experience with the social safety. And I think the listeners probably have a lot more questions than uh, needs for information. Do you all have any recommendations on what NAC resources uh, our listeners could be referred to if they want to learn a little bit more about all these policies and um, stay in the loop? Yeah, so I think if you are a primary care association, um, health center, or HCPN, the first place we'd love folks to go is on our online platform called NoddlePod. And it's really easy to join NoddlePod. Um, the first place, if you're not a PCA, is to go to ask the PCA about um, the direct contacts for that information. And you can certainly shoot an email over to state at NAC.org. And um, that's an open uh, platform for folks to share, ask questions, um, and really exchange information. It's important uh, to stay, uh, I think, also in tune with what we post on our NAC website. Um, Ted's uh, department manages helps to manage the health center clearinghouse, um, where we all share resources across various stakeholders, not just NAC. Um, those resources have been vetted, but um, sometimes by the time you put it out, it's out of date, of course, right? This is the space that we're in right now as we work to address a pandemic, funding challenges, policies that are changing by the day. Um, so I would also recommend that, you know, 
it can get a little wonky, but I do think it is helpful for the O and E field. They're very savvy, they're very smart, and they quite frankly inform all of us as to how we should make policy changes um, that are right uh, and for the people. Um, it's really important for them to stay uh, in, in just in contact with NAC staff um, and definitely set up those Google alerts, track uh, the different uh, health policy publishers, uh, and re reach out. For, for help, um, we're all in this space together. Uh, and I can't stress it enough, it's the only field that I think will be in the best position to inform the policies going forward. Uh, these are the folks uh, that are among the frontline workers. And so we wanna make uh, smart policy to be most effective. Oh, thank you, Bethany. That, that's a good, good array of resources there. Anything you wanna add, Ted, on the resource front? Sure. Uh, just to give a URL to what Bethany mentioned, the Health Center Resource Clearinghouse is healthcenterinfo.org, and that's where you have recesses, uh, resources that are um, produced by national platform agreement partners that are funded by HRSA. Uh, so you have a lot of great resources, yes, related to enabling services, and that includes four case studies that NAC has produced in the last year uh, on health center operational models for um, delivering innovative enabling services and each case study features a different health center in a different state providing a different type of enabling service. So I would, I would encourage you to go there and check that out. And I just say also, um, you know, don't forget like the standard that CMS continues to update their sister training resources. Um, you know, HRSA has been a little bit silent on their resources for sisters, but I think you know, that you're starting to see a renewed interest. And so other organizations like the Center on Budget Policy Priorities is continuing their Beyond the Basics webinar series. So you're seeing some partners continue to, to beat this drum. Just to wrap everything up for everybody, we, uh, as a reminder, have the Virtual World Cafe, which will be held on June 19th from 3 to 5 Eastern. So please register for that if you haven't already. Um, bring your questions for Ted and Bethany. Um, they will be there as well. Registration is still available and open at, on the HCAN website, the Health Center Association of Nebraska website, as well as Health Outreach Partners websites and on social media. Thank you so much again to our guests, Ted and Bethany from NAC today. Uh, we appreciate you being here and really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for you.